Welcome back to the, a very special episode of the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast, episode number 138. The Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast is two blokes that have known each other forever who catch up most days in the Melbourne CBD for lunch to talk everything Essendon Footy Club. My name is Grant and with me is Scott. Hello everyone, a huge bucket list moment coming tonight for myself and Grant who who are both in the, let's just say in the second half of the 40s, we're, we're a child of the 80s and 90s uh, and anyone who grew up in those eras knows one name and it's Kevin Sheedy and he's, what an awesome moment for for everyone to listen to, but I mean, for Grant and I, it's, it's a real uh, a special moment to talk to one of the great men of the club. I mean, I'd... I'd you say Dick Reynolds, and if, if you look at the, this man's achievements um, at the Essendon Football Club, on and off the field, financially what he's brought to the club, premierships that he's brought to the club, the prestige, the the coaching skills, the off-field, um, the, the personality the man brings. You say Dick Reynolds... And you say Jimmy Hurd and and Madden and, and, and yep, Richards yep. and Coleman and I tell you what, Sheeds, you could mount an argument that he is he is the biggest Essendon legend at the club. In 150 years, he's the biggest legend at the club because every single Essendon supporter will know that man's name. And if you put his picture up on the screen, every single person will know who he is. He's just he's he's basically everything to the Essendon Footy Club and took over in 1981 when we were real no good. And from there, we've won four flags. Um, so, yeah, it, it is a massive bucket list <laughs> moment for us tonight on the on the lunchtime catch-up. Yeah, so, look, we're not going to spend too much time going over yesterday's game. We're going to... we Because it was bad. Because <laughs> we want maximum time with, with Kevin. So, look, uh, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll have a few little topics to... We'll, on yesterday with Kevin, we'll discuss. But look, uh, we all saw the game. It wasn't great. It was it was really poor. <laughs> uh, and look, we could dissect it. We could go into it. We're not going into players' stats. I mean, that the team didn't turn up to play. I mean, yeah. uh, I I kind of felt like there's some cameos with Ridley and Stelling and and a few other guys. Even Perkins and Cox had a few nice little moments. But yeah. in all honesty, the team just. For some reason or, or another, it just didn't come prepared to play uh, a physical contest, and yeah. and and look, I I've tried to work out various ways. Is it is is it the eighth interstate trip? Is it is it the hub again? Is it yes, you know, yes? You know it, what what's going on? Because we did this last year as the year went on. When the hubs went on, uh, we mentally got fatigued. Uh, and, and I, I reckon it's okay to say that that's got to be eighty percent of the of the reason, Scotty. I really do. I've racked my brain, and like we sort of said on the on the Patreon podcast um, last night um, after the match, um, Patreon.com forward slash lunchtime catch up. Um, it's above the above the shoulders because for the first quarter and a half of that game, we were on top. We beat their midfield, their depleted midfield. Um, we were on top in the forwards. Jimmy was taking marks. Laverde was doing what he does. Ridley's a gun. And it was going to, we were 16 points up at half time, and we went, yeah, great. 18 points, whatever it was. Great. Yep. This is how we're supposed to go. Then we just didn't turn up. So, something happened and we didn't turn up for the rest of the game. It might be an interesting question for Sheeds. Yeah. Did I mean, just- the, the assessment of it, you know, it was 
you know, credit to the club, they've been pretty blunt. Uh, you know, I heard Truck obviously say, and the reporter said, you know, what happened? You know, why do you think the players didn't perform well in the second half? <laughs> and he and he sort of pulled him up, um, and, and said, well, they're not playing in. They didn't really play well in the first half, so it, it's a tricky one. Um, and and Josh Marnie also just noting that. Uh, that he felt they only played ten minutes of good football. So, so, so look, uh, we don't want to waste too much time uh, on doing the game. We might as well talk to Kevin and mate. And get we've this got over sheeds done. on the program. We want absolute maximum minutes with sheeds. Um, I know he's just about to ring through. So let's go to a quick break, and we will be back on the other side with six hundred game legend Kevin Sheedy. And welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast, a very, very special edition of the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast. Um, I must say, from a, from a couple of boys from the 80s and 90s, it is with great pleasure um, that I announce the three-time VFL Premiership player for Richmond in 69, 73 and 74, Richmond BNF in 76, Richmond captain in 78. Richmond Team of the Century, Richmond Hall of Fame, 251 games and 91 goals, which is impressive. Um, and then from a coaching point of view, four-time VFL, AFL Premier in 84, 85, 93 and 2000, three-time All-Australian coach, 85, 93 and 2000, Essendon Team of the Century, 634 games from 81 to 2007, 44 games for the, for the GWS Giants, but we won't worry about that. It is with great pleasure we introduce Kevin Sheedy. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Uh, how are you, gentlemen? Uh, great to hear your voices, and um, thanks for the, uh, the epitaph. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, we've done um, that. We've done that with a few of the guests we've had on Sheeds. I, I, I don't, and I know you've probably heard it a million times because you've lived it. Um, but sometimes we, we did it with Simon Madden a bit too. It, it just the the sheer amount of accolades that I think. Someone um, just someone like yourself may not bring up every every day because it's just something you've done in your career, but it is very very impressive. And I wanted to just sort of to to voice it out. And from a from an Essendon supporters um, point of view, how uh, incredibly proud we are of your achievements for our club. Well, it's a great club, um, and you know historically one of the most premierships in the AFL, along with Carlton. So it's hard to win that. Technically, about a premiership a decade. People don't realise how hard they are to win, and of course, um, the more that you wait, the more you get anxious to whether you're going to see another one. I saw my old club Tigerland, uh, you know, wait 37 years, and yep. Melbourne yep. Footy Club are still waiting. So, I was pretty fortunate to get four premierships in the seven grand finals. So, um, we, we we actually were pretty hard. Can I? Um... Uh, look, I'll, I'll get the elephant in the room out of the way with yesterday's performance, and 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 obviously it's it's great time to have you on because you obviously helped shape the the GWS Giants yourself uh, with with coaching yeah. and and setting that up, uh, and you obviously have Essendon. How did you see yesterday's result? It, it felt like a bit one out of the blue. I mean, probably North Melbourne, we didn't totally 
firing all cylinders, but it felt like this game was um, probably the the one out of the out of the blue that was we just the team just didn't seem to to come out and fire at all. Well, we had played well for a couple of weeks. We didn't play well against Dawson one, and we didn't play well against the Giants and lost. Yep. Um, and the Giants are a better team than North. Yeah, yeah, true. So, so I think we don't look at Essendon in in the correct manner. When you barry for a club, um, and when you're involved in every step of the club, you find it difficult to look at common sense issues. And yep. uh, I was more worried about yesterday's game than um, most people, only because I knew that I know what the Giants are like. Um, it doesn't mean they're going to be a better side than us in the next year or two because they're going to lose. They'll lose Mumford, who played very well and you know kicked a great goal late in the game, and uh, he doesn't normally do that. So you know they they have that sort of character that they just got over the line. But they've done very very well, the Giants, for a team that's only been in the competition ten years. They've been nearly in two grand finals, and um, so the Bombers we're on the way up. You know we've we've won eight games and lost three by a point, two points and three points. So we, we could really be 11 wins and in the eight. Yeah. But early discrepancies hurt us badly and um, particularly being ahead of Hawthorne in round one by so much at half time. And then only got beaten by, obviously, you know, Sydney and the Giants by a kick each. No, we... So, yep. you know, we've come a long way. How would... I would sense, and I don't want to speak for you, I would sense if you were truck after the game, you would be reminding the the group of the positives, even though it, was, it wasn't a, you know, it was obviously a, a bitter pill to swallow the loss. But you, I always, from my history with you, I always read you as a very positive person and, and you would talk about the journey as a whole. How, how would you have, have approached the, the boys after the game? Oh, well, I probably would have smashed them early, <laughs> and then picked them up, uh, picked the picked the pieces up after I, you know, vented a little bit because um, you know we played well early. We only played a half a game. We didn't play a whole game. If you don't play four quarters, there's a fair chance you won't win. So we played a half a game and got beat, and, and, and in the end, uh, probably deserved it. Yep. Now, Sheets, why is it, mate? Well, I mean, we from a supporter's point of view, you see. Darcy Parrish getting a million possessions a game and, and merit. And sometimes I swear I've seen Darcy running out games as fast in the first in the fourth quarter as he was in the first. Is it just like Scotty and I are trying to put our finger on as best we possibly can the reason why a team that did so well up to sort of halftime, 16 points up, back line was taking marks, Merritt and Parrish were doing their thing, Jakey looked dangerous. And then like the perception is that we switched off. After that, why is that? Is we, we're sort of thinking that it's got to be mental, like it's got to be up above the shoulders. Would that be sort of, would we would we be on the right path? No, no, not always. It's not always mental because you know when you look at some of the shots of goals we had, most of them never got the distance, mm. and it was quite amazing. A couple yeah, went through, surprising. obviously, you know, but there were three or four shots of goals that. Normally, you would think the players would get that distance. So, to me, it was more legs heavy, yep. probably tired, sort of. 
Yep. And that showed a little bit like last week against North, even though we just got over the top of them in the end. Um, and and that happens when you see most teams won't carry the young players that we're carrying in their first infancy of twenty game players. So so we're going to play five or six games. We'll get one or two back, maybe uh, Cornwall and um, or Carnival. So we might get him back. Still on Shield, you know, there by name, but not there by you know thirty positions, was it? Yep. So so in the end, you, you you've got these group of players, your best eight, trying to carry the team week in, week out. Then you've got your next four that are, you know, Laverty's been easily the most improved player of this one this year. Yeah. So sooner or later, the, the weight of numbers in the opposition has come against you. Now we've got a big game against Sydney next week. Now, it'll be interesting the difference in the scoreline next week. Because Sydney's about playing better than the Giants. Yeah. So you've got to be... But we'll go in there thinking we hope we can win, and you always do, obviously. But it's a very difficult position for Ben Rutten right now as a coach of a team that, you know, has won eight, probably could have won 10 or 11 already by around, say, 18. And I think we're ahead of where I thought we'd be, to be honest. If we win double figure wins this year, I think it's fantastic here. Oh, we're the same. <laughs> yeah, oh, we're, we're the same. I mean, we've got a brand-new head coach, brand-new assistant coaches, brand-new president. Um, some excellent new yeah, board members. Not, listen, remember, Paul Brass is not playing. You got to understand that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but, but the whole the, the amount of changes that there are at, at the Dons that have been <clears> um, since Truck has arrived, we've we've they've got a brand new game style that Truck's trying to implement at the club, and the guys have got to learn it. And so, to be in the eight for a minute in round nineteen or eighteen or wherever we are, I think it's a it's a great achievement um, where we are at the moment. I think. Sometimes the guys and girls on our podcast they get a bit ruthless, in my opinion. But they mm. they want they want us to be in the top four and they want us to play for in finals and stuff. And it'd be interesting to get your your thoughts on what Truck does this week, considering that, like you said, maybe there's some tired legs and maybe there's a few boys not really enjoying the hub very much. Does he go hard at them and say, no, 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 that that performance is not good enough? Or does he back off a little bit and and try and um, keep him a bit happier and, and maybe a bit easier on the track? Well, you can do both. You can tell the truth. And that's not good enough um, in performance. And then still keep the morale up. You don't have to smash people down that that hard that they can't get up again. I mean, we've got a game to do. We've got a season to finish. Yeah. So I think that the way you handle it is, you know, the next learning period of Ben Rutten as a coach in the in the last quarter of his first year, which will be, you know, important for him. And the most other important thing is keep playing our young players. You know, when you bring another player, you've got to play him this year. He's got to know by the end of the year, he needs to know what he's got ready to go in his second year. Yep. yep. And that's, and that's, look, as a fan, that's been uh, one of the exciting elements. Uh, and especially with, most of these 18-year-old kids who didn't play last year because of COVID, uh, it felt like, you know, we needed to fast-track almost their development. Um, to And then, as you said, you, you see what you, you get. Uh, so I, I take it that the philosophy from truck and bringing all, all this youth into the side all at once and just and getting 15, 20 games, you, you're totally on board. Absolutely. I mean, I, I remember when I first coached Essendon, 
Uh, Bill Stevens and Barry Davis brought a lot of good young players through. Um, and I ended up having the success of a coach, say, in that first five years of the 80s. But half of the team was produced by them. I had to go and find the other half. But that's a part of what it's all about. So I think Ben Rutten really is right now playing out the season around that 1979-80 period, given all the young blokes, you know, the Watsons and the Nagels and the Hawkers and the Neil Clarks, these sorts of blokes. Uh, lots of experience, Shane Hurd, you know, not not the champions necessarily like Madden have been there and played a bit. Terry Danaher had yep. and uh, had, but I, I think he's 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 getting he's got to get it all done right now this year. And then we look at you know sit down and have a uh, have the last supper at the end of the year and say now look this is where we're at. But at least play them and then you'll know. Now, she's one of our uh, one of our patrons. Um... Jacob McAuliffe has got a question. Um, who are you enjoying? Real? Who are you really enjoying watching at the club at the moment? Playing? Is there any? Is there any sheedy favourites that you're enjoying watching? Um, I, I think in the end, um, you'd have to really enjoy the early round draft picks. And I think um, you know we, when we lost a player like Sard and got Hine, I think that's been a fantastic trade swap. Yeah. In the end, in the end, you know, I mean. You'd probably win that deal somewhere by about $450,000 plus the guys in the first card, you know. So running, plays on his man and then runs off. Uh, so he's, you know, he's, he's back at Essendon, you know, he's getting a chance to be um, a good player and finalising in his career, which is good. I think in the end, um, I think Draper's probably, I love to get Draper. You know that next fifty to eighty games. Yeah, it would be incredible for that uh, young man. I mean, he's uh, missed a lot. I mean, we're playing players that play. You know, not much footy this year. Draper probably. I think he's only played about a dozen games. He's your number one luck. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're doing the right thing. No, no, I totally agree. Can I? I'm wondering what happens when. you have young talent and, and, and just in the scenario where they don't necessarily come on board the first year. And I, and I think of, uh, I'm trying to give, trying to think of examples like a, a Joe Watson or, a, uh, I, I don't know, Jimmy Hurd's first year or a, a Scott Lucas kind of thing. Do you, does a coach still see something in a player? They go, I know I've got to persist with them. Um, and I'm thinking of guys like Josh Eyre, you know, there's guys who, who have drafted, who haven't had that opportunity yet, but do, can a coach kind of sometimes read, they go, I know this kid's got something, but I know it will take two or three years. Uh, I mean, even like a Zach Reed, I know it will take two or three years of, of development. Yeah. Of course you do. Yeah. I mean, I had that with probably, Oh, but Kevin Walsh was probably one that people picked out. I mean, Roger Merritt was there before I come along, but we had too many ruckmen in, in front of Roger Merritt. We had to clear sort of five ruckmen to give Roger Merritt, just, just to get another tall person in the team and play him and give him confidence. So, you know, by the time we got Talbot, Cracker Keenan, Max Crow, say, and Justin Madden and these sorts of boys, I mean, we got Roger Merritt into the team, which is already a fairly tall side anyway. Uh, we needed to get small players. And, you know, the Bahajas and Daisy Williams, Ellen Ezard, you know, players that uh, could move around the ground quickly and, and, and crumb it. So, you know, the balance of our team 
is also in your head and thinking about when you're developing a chance. So we're probably at least two years away from looking a pretty good side. We'll be okay, but I still like to get the games in with some of these young kids. Yeah. Can I can I change slightly topics? Um, and that's more around your role as, as director. Uh, you know, as, um, speaking as a fan, we obviously heard that uh, I mean, Paul Brasher comes on board and there's going to be a kind of an internal club review uh, and your, yourself becomes a director without giving anything too confidential. Can I, can I just go through that process with you of, of how that came about and, and things that you saw that may, may needing improvement or needed addressing? Oh, probably when we let Richmond get um, ticket, but I thought when Ticket went to Richmond, I thought that, you know, that we needed to, we needed to get that better than let a wonderful player from South Fremantle walk straight into uh, Richmond's premiership side in his first game. That, you know, and at the time I knew that the recruiting staff may have really wanted to select him, but the club probably held back on it. I wasn't there at that stage on the board, but um, yep. probably a bit that made me go on the board. And I mentioned that at last year's annual meeting uh, when I had to get re-elected and go back on the board and voted on the board because, um, you know, there were three people going for, for the board. Now, <clears throat> the board meeting, from my point of view, is I'm uh, happy to be on the board. I'm only there as a person that can give advice on footy. I'm not an expert in financial affairs. Paul Brasher asked me to go on. He thought it would be good for the club and the fans. So... I thought, well, okay, there's two or three reasons why, but that in the end is um, why I went on the board. I never normally see myself as a board person. I had a lot of board meetings over my lifetime and and um, as a coach. <laughs> um, oh, whoops. Have we lost Sheeds? Sheeds, are you there? We've lost Kevin Sheedy and we're calling him back right now. Are you there, Sheets? Yeah. Sorry. There we go. Lost you for a second there, Sheets. For some reason, we totally lost you. Yeah, you're just obviously talking about being on the board. We Well, to me, it's a learning experience for me because, you know, I've given myself three years to learn about what the board really is. I can do for it and the club. Yep. And, um, and, and, and that's why we're not in the end over you know, a couple of other matters. And Paul Brasher asked me to go on it, so I did. Nice. I, I, look, I'm curious on also, I, I always thought this when I thought I'd love to know what Kevin Sheedy's thinking of this. The Alex. Good luck. The, the Alex. <laughs> you know, I've had this, I've, I've been having this conversation and about, the, I won't say the obsession. The, hold on, who's the conversation been with? You and your mirror? You <laughs> in the mirror to yourself? <laughs> pretty much, uh, or me or, or myself, uh, or Grant. Yeah, uh, or me. I, I'm, a, I'm a mad American sports fan and, you know, I watch American football and I see the coaches there and they're, and they're a lot, most of them are, are very senior, 50 and 60 plus age, high, highly experienced, and yet this competition seems to have currently an odd value of, of quite young com- recent guys coming out of the game. And and I thought, this is just personally me, I thought it was 
quite puzzling to see a Hawthorne have probably one of the best coaches of all time having a succession plan and saying, you're basically, you're going to go in a couple of years. Uh, does that seem, uh, and I don't know if it's for you to say, but does that seem odd to you? Because I, I feel like experience doesn't, isn't a bigger value than I think it should be in the AFL. Well, history will tell you that you know, normally what happens when great coaches go, that clubs don't actually replace them well. Uh, Norm Smith left Melbourne, and they haven't been that good since. Alan Jeans left St Kilda, haven't been that good since. Tom Havey left Richmond, a 37-year sort of wait after Tony Gill, which probably picked up most of Tommy's team. Um, and look, I think that uh, yeah, we'll wait and see with um, Mickey Malthouse Collingwood. So I think you know Bucky was very unlucky to lose the grand final when um, Dom Shee kicked that miraculous goal from the boundary line. So Collingwood are still be waiting now. It's sort of what eleven years now. So it just goes on, you know. Like Port Adelaide still haven't won one Fremantle. Oh, sorry. One since Mark Williams. Yep. Uh, they get rid of Mark Williams and they're still hanging loose on a flying on a kite. Three men will have one one. Um, so look, it's you know Lee Matthews and obviously Brisbane. You know, so uh, Mark Williams, is, yeah. Mark Williams is an interesting one because you you sense he has a huge impact with the demons, and and he's a classic example. Like should should clubs be actually consider him being a head coach again? Oh, I, I never have a problem with that as long as he builds his assistant coaches around with him because, you know, it's important that you get the whole package right, not just about one person. Yeah. And uh, But Mark, just a, he's a great coach. He's a wonderful coach. And, uh, you know, every club he's been to as an assistant, and that includes Essendon, uh, where I first got him after he got uh, cut at Glenelg, um, you know, he, he, he's been able to handle it. And for him to have to go back in the end, and see, a lot of AFL people can't handle Mark Williams. The fact is, he probably pushes management that hard to get it right. But um, he's just too hot to handle. And I, I think he's a fantastic coach. Uh, look, I agree. Um, I was in. I was, you know, we we recently did a a two thousand premiership reunion kind of show on Zoom, and we had uh, Lucas and Wellman and Johnson and Mercedes, and it was just brilliant. Uh, and John Barnes, and obviously they were. You'll be happy to note they were giving you quite a bit of praise. Absolutely uh, glowing references <laughs> sheets. I'm not worried about that. They know I've burnt them a few times, but the deal <laughs> in the end is, I deserve to be smacked every now and then myself because. The head coach doesn't get it right all the time. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's just too hard a job. I mean, too many of these young guys, they burn out too quick and they never get asked to come back again. It's ridiculous. Well, one thing I found interesting uh, talking to Jason Johnson and John Barnes, they both had mentioned how critical John Quinn was. They felt yeah. after, after the 99 prelim loss uh, and, and how critical they thought his – his approach was to the group, uh, and how mm. and how they attacked the next season. Um, I, I don't know much about John Quinn. Can you just tell us about 
his role there. I know he was obviously like the fitness and, and kind of coach, but it, it, it was amazing to see how much they thought he was critical for them to get their mind and body right. Well, he was. He uh, We took a risk with John. He was a um, a coach for athletics Australia down in Tasmania working for the AI, same institute of sport. He'd never seen a game, let alone coach or played AFL footy as a person out of Yass. Uh, he was with Peter Power, who was my first fitness coach in the um, early part of the 80s. He and um, John Quinn have been the best two coaches I've had. Um, Peter Power was with Richmond, Tom Hathie, and I got him over to Washington. Yep. And uh, at that stage, just remember the two the two are different eras because Peter Powers training men coming off working eight hours a day, working in trenches, buildings, building sites in the city, and he's got to train them at five o'clock. Um, totally different than you know twenty years later where everybody's full time. Yeah. So John Quinn was brilliant. Is brilliant. Um, and he's now, I was with him only seven weeks ago in Sydney and um, up at, uh, believe it or not, um, Betty Cuffett Stadium and he was training uh, Nova Paris's daughter oh, wow. and some, wonder, some wonderful um, Afro uh, uh, runners uh, coming into the next opportunity in the Olympics. He's still there, still green. I took him to the Giants. And he was the perfect person. So when he left Essendon, his coach asked in 99, 2000, 2001. And by the time that, you know, the club had let him go, I got him up to Sydney to start the Giants. And he was the best person for that job. So he's out of 100. He was, you're going to have to say, somewhere high in the 90s. Nice. Very, very nice. Those support staff, are, are, I assume, they're, they're worth their weight in gold to a to a head coach and an entire um, football organisation. Now, one of our other uh, other uh, members, Sheeds, um, Phil Cristoforo, he asks, why don't coaches make bold moves during a game anymore? And his example was the uh, classic Billy Duckworth from full back to full forward. Um, and he goes, has creativity died in the coach's box or were moves like that shitty specials? No, no, I think they're dying in the coaches' box. I think they're all under sort of, they live in a vacuum at the moment, most coaches. I think they uh, tried and true in the way they want to play. They make sure the players are adhering to uh, their patterns and uh, their strategies. And um, if you change from that, then you're obviously in trouble. And I think that to me is, uh, you know, a bit of sadness about the game. I mean, you know, you've only got to see right now when <clears throat> players anywhere in the midfield, if they're going to kick it into the forward line, they kick it to the pocket. Yep. That is the most boring kick I've ever seen in footy. They kick it to the pocket. Because if we don't get it, they don't get it, they'll throw in. Now, that is a coaching pattern style. And uh, to me, I just think it's uh, pathetic. Right. So you can't blame the players for that. And you can't blame the players, you know, if they're, they're sort of, you know, they'll, they'll lock up the midfield. I mean, they play and hold space now. They'll play and hold the ball now. 
So in many ways, it's a, it's a bit sort of difficult. But yeah, look, we all grew up in different patterns over the my my, my life from footy probably started in the VFA in the 1960s. So can you imagine all the different patterns of players and styles of coaches and and that since um, and since uh, the five decades that I've been the five decades that I've been involved in the game. Yeah. You're right. Well, Sheeds, um, we're going to go for a quick break. Uh, we'll be on the other side of that break. We'll uh, we'll come back with some more questions for Sheeds. All right. And welcome back to the Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast. Uh, we have Kevin Sheedy on the line. Kevin, I, you know, I, I didn't want to be sort of the normal kind of uh, who was your favourite player to coach or anything like that. Uh, I'm a diehard Essendon fan. You know, I ha- I just want – I thought I'm going to get some names in my head that I thought it would be great for you for, to just ask how you thought they, they were to some, to some, I won't say random players, but I players that I really appreciated as a fan that probably went under the radar. I was, I was more as media hype. We all under, we all knew the kind of the Madden Watsons and, and Eagles and Herds and, and Lloyds. Um, but there's some players that, you know, I just loved watching and I thought I could just going to go through a few over the couple of decades uh, I'm going to start with one who he was a little bit more media hype, but Greg Anderson coming over from South Australia. Uh, what a magical coup that was to get him, but what a special player he was for. And for anyone who is kind of under the age of 25, you missed a special talent. <laughs> Look, he was a magnificent long left foot kick and, um, he was great to get. He was running height, which I like on the wing. You know, he reminded me of Brian Wood, but Brian Wood was a very ferocious player, Brian Wood. Yep. Um, he had an, an amazing intercept for his left foot. He would cut out on his left foot and cut back straight in, in one step, and uh, threw a lot of players out. But um, an excellent player, uh, dedicated, um, probably lacked a little bit of killer instinct. Yep, and physicality for the players I normally like, but you've got to have the balance, and he was the balance. Yeah, he had probably more of like a graceful uh, wing kind of Robbie Flower left foot kind of feel to him. But uh, one person who did have a lot of grunt, uh, uh, and he was actually one of my favourites, and I thought was critical for a grand final win was Sean Denham. Uh, Sean Denham coming over from Geelong, uh, you know, if if you go back some of those games and seeing you know and seeing some of those highlights, he was such a critical player, either uh, a tagging on a Greg Williams or just or just running through running through the midfield. I thought he was a pretty special player. A very underrated player, and uh, he was uh, basically traded for John Barnes. Yep, um, that's one of the, another ruckman that we had that you know we had. Still a lot of ruckman, and uh, we just need to get a person who can run freely and rove, and also shut down a player. So Sean could do both, and he, you know, he won a best and fairest, which was a fantastic achievement. Uh, a fantastic, dedicated player, great listener, he carried out everything that a coach would want. Um, absolutely. 
absolutely to the T. And, uh, you know, Gary O'Donnell's the same. I mean, these are two people that really um, our fans should be extremely proud of. They got the best out of themselves. Their dedication, I, I will give 100 out of 100. And I, I mark pretty hard. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I never give 100 out of 100, but I reckon O'Donnell and um, Denham, their attitude, Probably their attitude was one of the best attitudes I've ever seen in any player at Richmond or Essendon in my lifetime. Wow. I've got two more for maybe, you. Maybe, Sorry, Scotty, maybe Gary should have been a bit further up on the uh, best players of all time. <laughs> on that, maybe we underestimated. On our top 20 list, yeah. I think yeah. we had him at I think we had him number seven. Uh, yeah. Which was pretty- he, he, told us, he told us he should have been much higher. Well, we're all entitled to our own opinion about ourselves. <laughs> um, but look, um, I would say that within, he would have been, a, I don't know what the voting was in 1993 grand final, but there wouldn't have been much in it between O'Donnell and Long. O'Donnell was just quite free at that day. Yeah. Yep. And, and O'Donnell, um, from memory, correct me if I'm wrong, he played quite a bit of time in the VFL, didn't he? he like, it took a while for him to finally break through to the seniors? Well, he was given a serious um, rapport with... Uh, we had him training in a junior development squad out in the eastern suburbs with a champion wingman for Essendon called Russell Blue. And okay. He had written a report in to me when Gary was about maybe 15, half 16, that this boy has the best attitude I've ever seen. And I've got no doubt... If he continues on his way, he'll end up captaining Essendon one day. And I've gone, well, I had to ring Russell and say, now, listen, that's a big comment. But um, <laughs> yeah. that is a huge comment because I'm telling you now, this is, you know, it's sort of like 1991. And Gary started on the bench in the seconds. Wow. And played many games in the seconds. And um, I've always had a high opinion of Russell Blue as a footballer because he's a champion. That's a wingman. Um, and uh, sure enough, his opinion uh, come true. And Russell and I still often chat about it. And I remind everybody what, uh, what a great selector he was. Because when somebody actually writes that, he actually writes it in a report to the head coach of Essendon, whether it's me or someone else, that this kid has the attitude to make it. And he's got the attitude that could be a great leader and captain of the club. That's, a, that's an incredible. Now, I'm talking 1981. You know, the Gary was captain many years later. Oh, well. Can I mention just two more names I'd love to get your opinion on? One is a bit of an unsung hero. I, I, lo- I love players that I think turn up every week and I go, I know we're going to get, they're going to be reliable. And there was a guy who is a bit of an unsung, underrated player, David Grenfold, I think, again, from South Australia. Uh, I, I just thought this guy just was just so reliable and you knew what you were going to get. And a great competitor. Well, he played, um, he came from uh, Bordertown. And uh, he's a marvellous player. He played well above his height. Yep. And um, he's very similar to Mark Thompson. As a matter of fact, the halfback line, halfback line in 1993 was probably the shortest premiership halfback line over decades, many decades. I mean, Mark Harvey's six foot. Yep. We're involved, probably my height, and Bob Thompson, my height. And that's your half back line. Wow. It's true. So it is true. When you look back at that line, 
you, you wonder how we ever won the premiership, honestly, but we did because the boys were extremely exciting. But Grenville played well above his height, so did Harvey and so did Thompson. So they played as if they were fellas, you know, Grenville couldn't have been six foot three, Harvey six foot four, and Thompson six foot two. But they had the uncanny ability to not be out much that often. And Grenville um, was the person who, he was a laconic sort of guy, you know. He was one of those laconic, uh, laconic type of people that, yeah, okay, can't go here. Yeah, you know. Yep. And I'm looking at him thinking, I don't know where you are uh, hearing me at all from. <laughs> but um, he's always been a, a fantastic person. He still is. I was, at the, uh, I was out for lunch with him in Adelaide uh, maybe two months ago. Uh, he is the CEO of um, South Australia RSL. Oh, wow. And uh, he was being a football manager of, um, of uh, Glenelg, no, West Adelaide, West Adelaide. So he's uh, really gone on, and, uh, and for a period there, he was up in marketing with the GWS Giants. So he's been there all the time. Um, he's always been under the radar, and a fantastic person to coach. Yep. Uh, so my... we, we got that right. You know, with David Grenbold, you know, we, we made good choices in those sort of early years of drafting. No, he certainly did. Uh, look, I'm going to go a little bit back into the 80s now for my last person because you had the the, the Watson, the Neagle, uh, even a little bit of Daisy, and I I was actually a mad fan of Glenn Hawker. Uh, I, thought Glenn Haw- I thought Glenn Hawker had one of the most technical, beautiful kicks that I'd seen in football. And, and – and again, because there were so many high-profile names, he probably went under the radar. But I just thought he was, uh, uh, you know, in any other team in any other area, he would have been one of the uh, a much more talked-about player. Well, you're right. Uh, another one that won the best is That's true. Uh, yeah, and he's under the radar. He is a boy around. Uh, well, he's extremely great. Vision. And we'll see it again. Most most of the club were not sure where to play him, so eventually we got him from half wall, but we got him into half back. And uh, his rebound from wing and half back, he's kicking because you wouldn't know whether he kicked right foot or left foot. He kicked both equally well. And um, and I see today, knowing I don't think there's anybody that kicked the ball as good as Glenn Hawker in the Essendon team right now. No, I. I mean, he 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 seemed to have very long arms, uh, and the and the the impact from his right arm, right hand to the ball was so close that it was it it was precision passing basically all the time. Uh, just a, a, I mean, that was a, obviously a very, very very talented team, but he was he was a special talent. Um, uh, I'm just just thinking of one more player in the modern, more the modern area in the 2000s. So I cover all areas. Now we're going to be here at midnight, aren't we? With one more player, but I like you. But just, I guess, <laughs> last one. I've just, I just remembered. I haven't really done anyone from the 2000s. Uh, this look, this guy's more a, a bit of a cult hero, but uh, Dean Solomon, uh, that kind of that Dean Solomon Andrew Welsh kind of impact they had of bringing a, a, such a tough. Uh, uncompromising, can play anywhere across the ground. Is Dean Solomon one of your favourites? I could imagine probably he might be. Well, of course he was. 
But the unfortunate thing he did was he rang through me at training one night and broke my shoulder. And I had to have it um, stitched back on. So wow. I said to him, I said, Dean, you don't hit AFL coaches on the training track. And That's so, um, but not in seriousness, he was a fantastically strong player. When you got Mark Johnson, Jason Johnson, Dean Solomon, I mean, he was your, <clears throat> and Sean Marwin and Fletcher. So you, had, you always had the back line hard, but hard was wasn't. So we had a very strong back line. And, uh, yeah, the former part of the best winning team ever in the history of the AFL, uh, you've got to be a pretty special back line to lose just one game for the year. And that, that was the, the free kick that ricocheted off Fletcher's shin out of bounds. And Grant kicked a magnificent goal from the boundary line that day or that, uh, at Marvel Stadium. So, you know, this, this group of players with Dean Solomon in that back line was just uh, quite remarkable. I mean, yeah, the difficult one that everybody knows, and I'll come back on in a couple of weeks as, um, uh, as we discuss, but uh, how, how hard is it to pick the best team out of the 84 and 5 and 93 and 2000? You ever tried that? Yeah, I don't know that that would be fun. I mean, even if we had someone like you there, Sheeds, to, to help us pick that, there would be blokes sitting out that would be deserving to be in. That's it. Was it well, was well, you, to... that's the I'll put the test to you, and I want to have a look now at how good a side you pick out of those four, you know, those four errors. All right, Sheets, if you if you if you come back on again on the show, we'll pick our best team out of the those four weeks. And I'm sorry, four weeks, four eras, and we'll put it to you. And we'll put them up on the She Division uh, website. Yeah, beautiful. And, and Instagram, and we'll see how good you are, and let the Bomber fans come to the website and give you a tick, tick, and we'll give you a mark out of a hundred. I just want to see how good you. I mean, you two guys at the B right now. I feel like I'm at the Muppet Show, and you two guys are in the balcony. <laughs> and I'm turning the frogs on. A, yeah, yeah, good luck. To you. We, we're, we're more than happy to take that role, Sheets. Um, it's it's not the first time someone's mentioned that to us that we can, uh, we can talk underwater. Um, now, mate, I, I've got a question for you. Ben's Ben's had a focus. Ben Rutten, that'd be truck. Um, has had a focus on incorporating um, Essendon past players and memories into what I think I heard him describe um, in an interview a while back as the new Essendon Footy Club. Um, what role, if any, has the board had um, in this uh, sort of? rebranding or reintroducing some older players and that sort of heritage type stuff. Um, and did you help by breaking into your, what I would imagine very, very valuable little black book to get a few telephone numbers to get some of those old boys down there at the club? Ben Rutten did a, a fantastic introduction to the team this year on the history of Essendon. And he did it for um, the board as well. And um, obviously, need a couple of historians go back, and but it was a very good thing to do to start off his career at the club, um, particularly when I mean he played for a club at West Adelaide, which is black and red in Adelaide. And a very good friend of mine, David Chipway, was chairman or president of that club, so he understands the value of when you come into an organisation, and he presented it very, very well. So, who helped him? Um, I think we would have had to got help from some older people and players around the club. But, you know, 
his idea, he owns it, and congratulations uh, to him for doing that. Is there a um, is there any uh, photos of yourself up at the club sheets? No, 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 no I don't want any photos. Well, why would there be? I mean, I never oh, play one game. I never play one game for Essendon. What do you hold on? <laughs> all I know is that there's four cups here. That's all I'm interested in. And Coleman yeah. and Coleman and uh, Reynolds uh, and Hutchison are the three iconic people of our history in, in the uh, early years. And I, I think when you look back, I, I, you can't go past uh, Watson and um, Madden and Hurd and, and Long. Yeah. But pretty, pretty special. The uh, the humility we love, mate, but we also love the fact that four four flags, um, six hundred and some odd games, bringing the baby bombers through. Uh, if there is not a very large floor to ceiling photo of your face up there, mate, with a uh, <laughs> with a uh, an well, inspirational quote like "Get out there and bloody do it" or something along those yeah, lines. We're, we're, be- hey, listen, boys, listen, boys. We're trying to bring people into the club and young members, and I don't want my photo there because I'll scare every baby that comes into the club. And Michael said, "It'd be." It, I reckon the eyes would move too if if you had your face on the walls. The eyes would follow you around the room if you had a bad game. Well, it probably is. That has happened. I mean, I'm being blamed for everything else, so I might as well get blamed for that. <laughs> can, I, can, I, can, I, can we uh, settle a rumour? There's, there's a bit of a rumour going around with some ex-players that the the terrible not Sydney Swans preliminary final loss, which we'll never talk about again, up in Sydney with the Tony Lockett point, uh, did Stevie Lesio cop a, a, a mouthful, including with all the other players, but he was actually emergency and never actually played the game. Yes, yes. The uh, Dustin Fletcher let us know that you know that uh, that you yourself were giving a spray to the whole team after the prelim loss, and and part of that was including Steve Alessio, and unfortunately Steve Alessio was the actual emergency and he didn't play the game. <laughs> Who said this, Uh Dustin Fletcher. Well, Fletcher Fletch was um, just a young kid in those days. You wouldn't remember that. <laughs> no, I think I think the unfortunate play was the goal on shore. And if I gave Alessio any sort of spray, it'd be because he's very nonchalant looking, as if, well, if you had played me, it may not have lost. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. But no, look, I don't think I give um, Alessio too much of a spray, but he might have been sitting there and then pretty, you know, cool with himself, seeing that <clears throat> he may not have played. And, and uh, Rick, uh, Rick, I mean, it's one of the worst things I've ever done as a coach is just let uh, Rick Owenshaw know my feelings about him not being closer to Maxwell in that dying stages of the game. But anyway... Um, I'm not proud of it, but that's the way it is sometimes. And I got many from Tommy Hathy, and um, I thought Tommy was very harsh, but again, wear it and move on. No, well, I mean, as a fan, trust me, <laughs> I was livid. <laughs> so so uh, I remember that emotion at the time as well. So uh, I don't think I would be able to uh, control <laughs> myself. After well, that. the ball, well, technically, the ball should never come out of our forward line. We, we wouldn't have had a great side for the grand final if he had got up. The ball should never have got out of our forward line, okay, from a stoppage. Mm. 
want me to go through it right now? <laughs> I thought, oh, geez, well, mate, I think... I'm, I'm hanging on every word. I'm, I'm standing nah. in a hole right now with you mate. telling us uh, three-quarter time. Go for it, mate. Well, I probably to see the boys don't understand what happens because as soon as the fire went, I'm walking up into the rooms and I had a Channel 7 cameraman straight uh, with a camera straight in my face and this guy asked me, Kevin, how are you feeling right now? And I felt like saying, well, mate, you are so lucky to be alive after asking that question. <laughs> and in the end, I just said, um, I'm okay. Good luck to Swans next week in the grand final. I just have to go and talk to my team. But the only thing I did wrong was never find that man's name. And then I would have haunted him in the next 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> Was, anyway, tell us when we're on radio. We just uh, we uh, tell us when we're on because we're just chatting away. Aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Oh no, mate, we're we're back on. Sheets. We've been on for a while, mate. <laughs> I'm only joking. Hey, uh, I, that bloke would have been brave. Like, did he did he look like he was trembling a little bit? No, I just thought he was um, just a young guy starting out, and um, I thought I'd better take it easy on him. They don't need to wreck their careers at the start of their uh, at the start of it. That's not a very smart question. What? I, wonder if, I wonder if some of the older reporters sort of he said, "Oh, geez, got a little comment out of Sheeds after the game," and they went, "What? Did you come up and talk to him directly after the game?" Jesus, mate, you're lucky you've still got your front teeth. Yeah, no, I'm not like that normally. No, I used to be once upon a time, but I'm a much nicer guy now. Clearly, clearly. <laughs> I mean, just uh, as we start to wrap it up, we'll talk a little bit about Shitty Vision soon as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. The, the Mitchell White incident, I'm always curious to know uh, what – did you actually see anything or was it a bit more of a statement uh, at the quarter time break that you wanted the guys, um, our, our own players, to kind of go, you know, get more physical? Obviously, you, we all know the, the famous cutting the throat mention a quarter time. Did you is that more what you thought our plays needed to toughen up and you came up with that or did you actually see something? No, 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 no. What the, what had happened is that the Mark Johnson got his cheekbone busted. Oh that's right. He did yeah, sorry, you're right, yes. Yeah. So obviously it was a seagull, wasn't it? Or some <laughs> person that they could never find it on. They never could find these things on uh on the television, so I always find seagulls, I suppose. Um, to find out the you know top of the grandstand it's not fair to play but um, no Mark Harvey had said um, on the way down that uh, Mark Johnson deck behind play nearest player Mitchell Watt well that's all I knew now I've got to walk down the stairs and I walk out there and I've got to stand in a little square next to where Doctor is attending Mark Johnson with a busted cheekbone and I said how long do you think you'll be out for said probably a month mm. So I wasn't happy. The siren goes, and I'm heading for for Mitchell White, which is the wrong thing to do, by the way. It made for great theatre. <laughs> it made for great. It did. Well, well, when I went to the tribunal, the reason I got fined was the little league ran at me while I was operating on my performance. So I had no <laughs> idea the little league. I had no idea the little league ran out in front of me while I was actually slicing my throat. So. Now, um, that's why. That's why I cop the fine. Now, Sheeds, one last question from Chris Thorpe, one of our members. Um, it's 2050, right? Cast your mind 2050. What changes do you imagine the game has introduced in that period of time? A lot. <laughs> uh, well, 
that, that's a big question. I, I think we could have less plays on the ground. I think we could end up with 16 if the coaches want to keep doing what they're doing. Um, there might have to be a ruling that you'll have less, still less uh, interchanges. I just think kicking goals and sprinting off the ground is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Just, I've never, I, I I've many never understood that. I do many talks and I ask, can anybody help me with this? Who believes that you should kick a goal and sprint off the ground is a good thing and, and the whole 100% of the room put their hand up and disagree. It's the most, they just can't. So here we have what is our major business, people, fans at the games, and you ask right over the last five years, I ask every time I talk, and they all dislike it. So why wouldn't you, as customer relationships, VFL, AFL, my time over that 50 years, VFA, why wouldn't you try and make the fans happy? It's not that hard. I mean, where do you watch a move and say, where do you watch a move and say, oh, hold on, um, Robert Reb was just jumping out for a while, have a coffee and a smoke over, they put him back in the movie, please. Yeah. Well, I mean, we pay to see the greats play. Can you imagine telling Lockett and Ablett to get off the ground and carry? <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, I don't know that the uh, don't know that the um, the runner would have lasted real long, especially talking to Carey or Lockett. Well, I actually was coaching Victoria one year, and Peter Power, uh, he was my um, a runner. And I told him to go and tell him to take Ablett off the ground. Now, Ablett's never been taken off the ground. I didn't know that. Because, you know, I just thought he'd better come off the ground. I'll try something else for, you know, five or ten minutes. And Ablett turned around to Peter Pan and said, Who? Me? <laughs> I can imagine. Oh, I mean, I couldn't help but laugh at the box. <laughs> I said to Peter Power, what, I said to Peter, what happened? He, said, he couldn't believe you were going to take him on the ground anyway. <laughs> They're the sort of things that happened in the private life of a coach and a star. And I, and I mean, obviously, you know, as a superstar, over a thousand uh, goals and, you know, played a, a lot, not a lot, but often played halfback and wing. Incredible player, that player. He was actually my outside of Essen, by far my favourite player to ever watch. Uh, I'm, no, he was different. He was just, yeah, he was just, he was one of the few guys I actually, and this sounds bad to my Essendon audience, where I actually stood up and clapped uh, at one point because <laughs> it was just, the football was just so unbelievably good that I just had to, I just had to almost just acknowledge what I'm seeing. <laughs> yeah, no, well, that's how people used to go and watch Coleman. Now people go and watch Bartlett and Royce Hart and, Dusty Martin, you know. I mean, this is <clears throat> one thing about Australian fans is they do appreciate great sportsmanship. Yep. Now, Sheeds, we've gone through your career so far. We've gone through a bit of coaching. We've had a few laughs and stuff. We could genuinely talk to you for the next hour and a half straight. But I tell know us that. what you. <laughs> we, we can't afford that mate um what's uh what are you doing nowadays tell us about sheedy vision well it's just to promote um history i mean I, I i love writing books uh um i love um putting ideas and thoughts out i do public speaking obviously um and i enjoy that because it um it gives me an opportunity to create and give confidence to people that you can get somewhere in your life um, and that's why I write my books 
and, and I write my books for my children more so than anything, my grandkids, because those books are there forever and they'll know who Pop was when I'm not here. And I'm in the last quarter of my life, obviously, so they're parked there, they're there. But in my books, I always sign with a, a comment about life. And so basically I've written about 14 books. I've got my greatest ever team. Uh, my memorability is lovely. It's good. I think I uh, try to inspire people. And my little kids book I did last year for uh, Make Sure You Dream It and Follow Your Idols. I believe that. And isn't incredible that Ashbardi followed the career of Eva Mulligan. Yeah. Yep. It's yep. incredible that our swimmer today that won the gold medal really wanted to emulate the woman she beat, the yep. American superstar. So, you know, when you see that, it's just incredible. And, um, you know, so particularly now COVID, COVID's been great for book writing because I can put all my thoughts out there. So I've just finished, um, <clears throat> obviously, uh, Icons in My Life, which will come out later this year. And um, uh, Rod Labour, people like that, you know, Herb Valiant. Dennis Pagan's in it because I just can't believe how great he's been as a coach and then won the derby. I know. Michelle <laughs> Payne. So we interviewed Dennis, we interviewed Michelle Payne. So my books are pretty, pretty well, you know, uh, well thought of, which is great. You know, I mean, who's, I never thought at 50, but Tommy Hayter kept challenging me that I must start writing and uh, in the end I did after, after 50 years of age. So there's lots of things I try to do and Obviously, I'm looking to get the country game up with Geelong and make it as big as um, Anzac Day and Dreamtime. The Tigers have been fantastic. And then I want to do one more, and then <clears throat> I'll probably put the queue in the rack then. And that's about building a game for all the people that come from around the world to help build Australia. So the, there's a lot of positive thinking about that. Mate, there's one element on Cheaty Vision, having a look at it, that I, I know Scotty and I could have used when we were playing... Uh, reserves at South Croydon Footy Club, and that's coached by <laughs> Kevin Sheedy, mate. We we uh, we could have done with you down there at Cheong Park um, for uh, some mentoring uh, and the like. Um, can you tell us a bit? It, it's interesting. You sure everybody would think it would be Sheed's telling you how to uh, how to play a bit better on a footy field, but you also got in there like self development and business development. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, I, th- I think that we just don't realise the potential that we have. And I often do a lot of talks to companies about the development of people in their 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s. I mean, I'm 73, wanting to still develop myself into something that I could create right now in the latter years of my life. And why shouldn't 35-year-old or 30-year-old people know that development just doesn't stop when you finish your, your course at university or your first job or second job. So many brilliant things can happen along your pathway in life. And um, and I think people that are locked into their job and probably getting slightly touched and bored and feeling comfortable at home, they, they need some energy to generate a new person. They don't have to. I'm just saying this is an, an alternative to find out uh, who they really are whilst you've got the one life you've got. And that's why I've always pushed the boundaries. You know, like it was only a year and a half ago, I was in America looking at how we can get a four a four point game in uh, in America, and yeah, um, 
that was a um, was a good uh, good Australia Day function. So, from my point of view, I think that's achievable in my lifetime, and in probably maybe the next five years. Obviously, COVID's pushed uh, pushed it out a bit, but there's definitely uh, a chance that we can do things now. I know people will be out there listening to this, and they'll say, "Well, should we? Why should we? And and even could we?" I think there's 45 million people live in California. They're very similar to Australian people, and it's only a 14-hour flight. Not much these days, and probably you know within you talk about 2050. Uh, sorry, yeah, 2050 before. I don't have a problem hooking up. 45 million Californians to play AFL at all, which means it's double our population here in Italy. So I think that's a good bonus way of looking at it. You can go to China, you can go to anywhere, but you can get on a plane in, say, 2050 and 10 hours away. I mean, look at these two guys. They've just been up to the they've been up in the space and back, haven't they? Hey? Oh, yeah, yeah the, two, the billionaires, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, they've got a bit of money in their pocket, but anyway. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I think in the end, all I'm saying in the end is don't chuck out positive development thinking, and that's what I talk about when people uh, ask me to get out there and work in my private business, which is public speaking. And um, I, I do follow it up with my books on the way I write. Yep. Well, uh, I, I know people uh, can can look more into your books and, and, and things that you, I think you can purchase a few things at uh, uh, sheedyvision.com.au. Uh, and you can also go to Kevin Sheedy on Instagram at Sheedy, Kevin, at Kevin Sheedy 10. Uh, well, that's my number and don't ever forget it. <laughs> that's <laughs> the tiger coming out of <laughs> So, uh, look, I've, I've noticed also you've been selling a few kind of, uh, memorabilia kind of things as well, which looks awesome. So that is that best to get you through Instagram on that or Sheedy Vision uh, website? Uh, probably Sheedy Vision website's pretty good, I think. Okay, awesome. Little, so, does, uh, little does Scott know that he's getting one of them for Christmas, but don't tell him. <laughs> no, that's okay. But listen, um, I'll be happy to get to Zoom in a couple of weeks, boys. Okay. Yeah, mate, we'd, we'd really appreciate that. So and let's get let's get serious. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, look, what we'll do is, uh, I mean, we'll we'll obviously go through what we think was our top players. This was also voted by Scott Lucas and Ron Connolly from the media as well, uh, and us too. So we'll, we'll go through those lists and we'll get your opinion as we go through. On, no, 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 no. Listen in, Mister. You pick your team, right? <laughs> we'll pick I our team. See how yep. good you are. Yes, yes. All right, we'll and, and and listen. Um, Put a uh, put on your um, on, on your show that get your people to send uh, their best teams into um, shoe division for me. Yeah. All right, yeah, mate, we'll do that, and we'll see. And somebody might pick a better team than you. So I would probably suggest. Well, we're definitely we definitely created this for the eighties, nineties, and then the noughties, the two thousand to two thousand ten. So those three decades, we 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 did. Top list. So we'll, on our on our Zoom, we'll go through some of those lists and we'll get your feedback on how you think myself and Grant did. I know myself and Grant had different lists, so obviously yeah, you can you can say to us which one's the bigger muppet. <laughs> well, the deal in the end is who do your parents vote for? Oh, mate, I got uh, Rich uh, Hawthorne for mum and the dogs for dad. Yeah, you are mis- you are mixed up. 
turkeys, aren't you? Well, that's yeah. true. We, we we grew up in Footscray, so I was born in Footscray, so we had to do that for a while. And South Croydon Footy Club was the dogs as well. But Scotty got me onto the Essendon. We uh, we met in primary school one day. Scott said, yeah, g'day. I said, g'day. Who do you barrack for? I said, eh, dogs, I think. He goes, no, 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 you're back for Essendon. And that was it. Who said that? Me. <laughs> Scott, Scott yeah. said that to me, mate. That was when well, we met in primary school. I'll, I'll get you, you. How long ago was that? that was, we've been that's, best, that's best four, friends for about 40 years. Wow. That's yeah. an incredible story. Yeah, so uh, my, 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 my father is actually from Toronto, Canada. So he came over. Um, he worked for Chrysler and he came over to work for Essendon Chrysler um, from Toronto, Canada. Uh, and then he got involved in the club because they were one of the sponsors. Um, and one of the saddest stories I ever got was that they asked him, uh, would he consider having a 15-year-old Tim Watson stay at his house for a couple of weeks? And he said, no, he did. he's got too big a family. And to this day, I still haven't forgiven him. Yeah. <laughs> God, I'm like, so, well, I hope your dad. I hope your dad enjoys McGrath because he's a Canadian. Yeah, well, I mean, I I think he's still. I mean, I've got a funny feeling he still remembers the eighties. Remember, we actually played a game in Toronto with Hawthorne, I think, and we tried one of their NFL fields. Um, <laughs> oh, that that was one of the strangest visual experiences of watching a game. Yeah, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> so, well, so, we we better wrap it up, mate. Okay, mate. Not a problem. And uh, um, good to hear from you in a couple of weeks. Yes, mate. We we really got to thank you, Sheets, for coming on. Um, I know that uh, we're getting messages all the time, all the way since we've been talking to you uh, just now. Our phones have been blowing up with when's the show coming out, when's the show coming out, <laughs> when do we get Sheets on? Um, so we're going to be releasing that in the next couple of minutes. But again, mate, I know you're uh, you've been humble today and <clears throat> you've uh, you've played down your achievements, mate. But we, as Essendon fans, and that's how we run this podcast. We run this podcast as Essendon fans first and foremost. Um, I know I'm speaking for a lot of our listeners when I say, uh, you've probably heard this a million times, but thank you, Kevin. Thank you for everything you've done for our football club. Um, thank you for being approachable to let two blokes come and have a chat to you on, a, uh, on, a, uh, on an evening. And um, we really appreciate you coming on our podcast, mate. Okay. Cheers, boys. And uh, we'll catch you soon. All right. And, Thank uh, you. Say hello to everybody for me. Thank you. Well done. Well done. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kev. So massive, massive, uh, big. Oh, th- Lord. Oh. That's, that's about as good as it gets, really. Um, yeah. Scott and I are just sitting here with smiles ear to ear. Uh, I think we covered <laughs> as many topics as we could. Uh, we, we were sort of all over the shop. We went. Yeah, I must admit there wasn't. We had an agenda, and I don't know what happens when you talk to Kevin Sheedy, but your agenda goes out the window, and you and you're going yeah, left we, and right and different topics. So uh, please excuse the format <laughs> of that. But yeah, it was it was weird. Like we had some some questions about like the eighties, <laughs> and and then we'd go, and then I noticed I did it. We asked him a question. I think. You, you were finishing with um, tell us about David Grenvold and Glenn Hawker. And then I went straight from Glenn Hawker to tell us about the board and photos on the wall, modern time. So thank goodness Sheeds is as fast and as, as quick as he actually is because the man, seriously, I reckon you, there's nothing you could ask that bloke that he hasn't got an answer for. No, he's, he's about yeah. as quick on his feet as I've ever seen anybody in the world. And that's why like, it would have been very interesting when, I mean, not that he's not in his prime now, bless the man, but could you imagine him when he was our age coaching the Bombers in, in like the late 90s and stuff like that? 
um, he would have been an absolute handful for a reporter. Because if you, if you were boring him, he's just as likely to say something like, you two remind me of a couple of Muppets or something, and he'd throw you off your off your uh, off your line. <laughs> I know that's one thing he does well is he throws you off, and you and you you're thinking totally different for some reason. And you're going, I wasn't going to ask that question. Why am I asking this? Why am I doing this topic? Like, why am I speaking about Toronto, Canada? For some <laughs> that, like Scotty and I, yeah, <laughs> Scotty and I, like we've. We've, we've spoken to, as part of this podcast, we've spoken to Essendon footballers that we never thought we would be within a bull's roar of, right? Like Gary O'Donnell, one of the nicest blokes on and off the pod you'll ever meet in your life. I've been stood right next to Dustin Fletcher for a good two hours um, and just had him at a live show. Again, a nicer human you'll never meet. So it is, but we've spoken to, I mean, my childhood absolute legend of all legends in Simon Madden. I've, I've spoken to these guys but it still is or a bit awe-inspiring when you're talking to... That's why I said to him at I the know. end of there, I, I, I don't know whether or not... And he probably hears it every day. And, and you know the old saying, the Italian family that eats Italian food every day, real Italian food every day, doesn't appreciate it because they have it every day. But then you get a skippy that goes over for dinner or something and they just think that this is the greatest food in the world. I wonder if she's... That's why sometimes I said, mate, from a, from a fan's point of view... You got to thank that bloke for everything he did for the club because it's everything. And he, he said, I go, is there any photos of you on the wall, Sheeds? Now, I'd be writing a very strongly worded letter if there wasn't a photo or two at least <laughs> of that bloke on the wall. And he goes, Coleman, Richards, Heard, and all those boys. Um, yeah, sure, Sheeds. But I tell you what, mate, you could mount an argument that you are well and truly in the same breath as those blokes. Oh, easy. So, uh, look, it's funny. Uh... It's like you said, it, I'd love to say we're this parole professional podcast and we're slick and we're, we're, you know, I hope people understand we've been saying this from day one, we're mad fans and we grew up, <laughs> we grew up in the eighties and nineties and, you know, and we just speak to one of our heroes for an hour and for the first time, uh, like obviously I've messaged him a few times during the week, but that's about it. Uh, which again cracks me up that you've got Kevin Sheedy's mobile number in your phone <laughs> and it's it, great stuff man. yeah it's so for us stuff. I hope that it makes sense we're, we're just as, we're just as giddy and excited as a, as a as anyone would be saying I've sat down with Kevin Sheedy and had a conversation with him for an hour so yeah we, we really hope you guys enjoyed that too because that's um first and foremost guys we enjoyed it like we really really enjoyed that and if if we really hope that you guys enjoyed it as well. There's a million and 17 questions we could have asked that bloke and we could Part have been two. going. <laughs> yes. And we tried to. We could have been going forever and a day, but you just have to at some stage sort of cut it off. But no, that, that's that's a bucket list. Um, episode 188, I think. So, yeah, um, so if you want to take up Shitty's Challenge uh, and do a, a top 10 yes. list uh, from one of you can – like choose a decade. It could be eighties, nineties, or noughties. Uh, do 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 your own list, uh, and then you know she'd said he's he, if he if he likes it he'll put it up on his website. So there's the challenge for you guys. Uh, yeah, so- absolutely. Get get him in. Get him into the lunchtime catch up podcast Facebook page. Um, with something like this, maybe uh, maybe send it to us um, via Messenger. Um, send it to us the the lunchtime catch up podcast um, Messenger. Send us your team. Um, all the way back for the back line to the front line um, and bench from the 80s, noughties and 2000s. And the great man's going to have a look at it. Not only us, but the great man's going to have a look at it 
um, and the what the best ones you'll chuck up on his website. So how cool is that? So, well, that's it. It's been by far uh, one of our longer shows. So uh, it's uh, has it really? What are we what are we tracking at? Oh, the sheets interview alone was just over an hour. So uh, nice. So very uh, nice. Yeah. So, but that's you know, he was very very gracious with his time. So, I, I you know. Obviously, we very little covered the actual game, but we did. But it, we all saw what happened. So, yeah, it, it, th- thanks yeah. every thanks everyone. You can catch us on the lunch catch up on Twitter, uh, Instagram. Uh, come come visit us at our Facebook site if you want and join the yep. Facebook site. Patreon.com uh, forward slash the lunchtime catch up. Two extra shows a week: um, Thursday night team selection show and a post game reaction show directly after the games. Um, on Patreon, little as three bucks a month, you can um, come and check us out for some extra content over there. And that's really us uh, signing off. So uh, I'll go to the edit forum and look. We're, yes, indeed. There's obviously, please excuse. We obviously you heard it drop out twice. Sheeds, we didn't pick up Sheeds. Let him know on the second time, but that's okay. Um, uh, but unfortunately, um, we were going to do this show via Zoom, but he just had a problem with his internet, so we had to do it through mobile. And just my mobile goes through Bluetooth through our studio, um, so I'm sorry. It's just actually there was an interruption in my Bluetooth, so it was actually my my fault. Uh, but it just we lost him for a little bit. So I'm I'm not going to over edit it because it was kind of a natural conversation. So um, we'll leave it in in. in and hopefully everyone understands that's just what ha- had to happen because with a, a mobile Bluetooth connection. So yep, th- thanks everyone. Uh, talk to you on the Thursday for Patreon's Thursday team show. And this is me signing off and Grant. See you later guys. Bye.